Welcome to Stories Behind the Stars podcast, dedicated to honoring the fallen heroes of World War II. In this podcast series, I have the opportunity to interview researchers who volunteer their time to research and find the story of each individual fallen World War II hero. I have the opportunity to speak with Lee Schneider today. Can you go ahead and introduce yourself? I read a story about um, stories behind the stars on, in my local newspaper. And I've always been a writer, been a newspaper reporter, um, but I'm uh, partially retired now, so I have some extra time. And when I saw it, I thought, well, this is something I could do. And it interested me because I really like to write. So it was a way to use my talents to, uh, you know, for for something else. So I thought that was really cool. And when I inquired about the project, I was asked, who would you like to write about? And I gave that some thought. And I thought about, you know, my dad was in the Pacific and my grandfather was in Africa and uh thought about a couple different things. And then I kind of inquired and I said, well, were there any women in the war? And the answer was, well, not too many because the person who told me this said, I've written a thousand stories and I've only found two women. Well, the reporter in me then started Googling how many women were killed in World War II. Uh, and it came, you know, I don't think there's a comprehensive list, but the number I found is 500 plus. And that is a tiny fraction of the 400,000 who were killed. But as me and as an individual, 500 is a big number of stories for me to write. That, that's a lot of research and a lot of people. So I said, you know, I, I think I'll, I'll work on the women's stories because I don't know any of them. I mean, I've seen lots of war movies. My dad loved if there was a movie on Patton or anybody else, he had to take me with him and we'd go see the movies, but they didn't have women in them. So this was, to me as a reporter, that was a mystery. And I wanted to find, I wanted to find the answer. And after I did First Woman, who was amazing, I was like, oh my gosh, how have I never heard of this person? And then I kind of say that about everyone that I look up. So it, that's, it's, it's just, I was just addicted after doing the first one. So how do you find the women then? Do you just uh, have a, how do you have a list that you can even go off of? Well, so far, I have not found any kind of master database um, on any internet site or any war site that has compiled the women. So I'm interested in, in doing that as I add women. But there have been some uh, specialty sites like there's a one about women who were pilots and it has a list of women pilots who were killed. Um, there's a book about some of the different hospitals that the war hospitals, like we think of in MASH and that had some of the women who were killed there. So here and there, I find pockets of names. And um, at this point, I, every time I see a name, I save it, but I have way more names than I'm getting, than I can get to, but I can't tell you how many I've found yet. But I know I've got to get to at least 500 because I've seen that number. So it's almost like a 
a detective research in and of itself just finding a name because I know with like a lot of the with the D-Day we have a whole database you know and with other projects we've done we've had uh honor roll that had everybody's name right and so we've been able to start with that so you on, on top of researching their story you have to research all these different things to find the people that's that's pretty impressive <laughs> yes and and for instance on fold three where they've uploaded a lot of names of the fallen, the women will be there, but uh, on the generic platform where they upload them, the silhouette of the picture is that of a man and all of the things will say his. So, or on um, honorstates.org, which is a place that honors people who were fallen, it always says his, and it might be Betty and Susan, but it'll always say his, you know, there's just, there there just wasn't included in the platform a way to recognize how many women. So there's no way to go in and count how many women. Wow. So have you stumbled across stories that have been really impactful to you that you'd like to share with us? Well, I, you know, it's really interesting. There's just so many of them. Um, Some of the things that I found are, I found a mystery that still hasn't been solved today that is on all kinds of mystery and UFO and missing person websites. I found some really interesting characters. Uh, There's a woman who died in the war who was a silent movie star uh, before there were talkies. And um, during the depression, when she didn't have any work, she drank a bottle of poison and tried to kill herself. Then she then she married a famous professional baseball player. And then the war came and she joined the wax and uh, died missing in action. I, I found a private detective who was one of the pioneers in forensic science for solving crimes. And she was amazing because Um, first of all, she was the only woman doing such a thing. She testified in trials all across the country. She was a handwriting analyst and she married the first guy who, the guy who invented the lie detector machine. So I'll tell you more about her in a little bit. Uh, There was a woman who died, was a whack, was a tennis star of her day. She was really famous and she was terrific at tennis. Um, I found Sad stories. I mean, they're all sad, but I mean, I found families who sacrificed more than one child. I found uh, some stories of lives that were lost to human error. I mean, we're not perfect, but, you know, they didn't do anything wrong, but due to human error, they died. Um, I found one death that falls under the category of irony. I found one death that is probably sabotage, where people on the base she was at wanted to kill the women and a whole lot of heroes. So it's kind of hard to know where to start. Well, just to clarify, what is a, a whack? Yes. So one of the one of the jobs that you could do during World uh, War II was you it, women could volunteer to be a whack. And and in 1941, a bill was proposed before Congress to create a Women's Army Corps, which is WAC, the Women's Army Corps. And it didn't get any traction. I mean, women weren't supposed to go to war. But then Pearl Harbor happened. And then all of a sudden that bill that was languishing in committee, they started saying, maybe we need more people. One way we could have more people is to have women. So the Women's Army Corps was founded. It really took off in 1943. The first time they took applications, they had 35,000 applications for 1,000 positions. Women wanted to step forward and do this. And at that time, women weren't allowed 
you know, in combat like they are today. But what they could do is I, I have a list of those. They could uh, deliver troops and supplies, drive trucks. They were air traffic controllers. They were mechanics, postal clerks, switchboard operators, sheet metal workers. Of course, all kinds of tasks that were in offices to keep the troops organized and running. Um, bakers and all kinds of medical personnel that weren't doctors or um, nurses, such as people who do x-rays and people who draw blood and people who do medical records. So there were lots and lots of positions that made the army function that had nothing to do with being in the war. So, so I would, I'd love to hear a story of, of maybe the pilot, a pilot, a woman pilot, if you could, because that's very unique, right? I mean, we, we do, we have Amelia Earhart, right? But yes. there's not a lot known about women pilots. Well, the women pilots were called WASP, which is the Women's Air Force Service Pilot. And they were a, by having women become pilots, it relieved some of the men from duties that weren't at the front. They could take the, the men combat pilots and move them to the front if they had women take over more domestic flying duties, which would include delivering planes from the factory where they would be shipped overseas, moving uh, goods and, and, and cargo and people from one point A to point B that weren't at the front. Um, and also one of the scariest jobs I have read about during the war was they used women to tow a target behind their airplane so the men could practice shooting live ammunition at the, at the target. Play so um, there was a yeah there were a lot of pilots and it took the they had to be really brave but really different than the men pilots when a man enlisted or was drafted it, he they would go through basic and then from there have a lot of tests and if they seemed to have the aptitude they would put them uh, into training to become a pilot and they would learn everything from scratch but for women to become a pilot in the military at that time, they had to provide all of their own training. So they had to pay their way to go to flight school. They had to buy their own uniforms. They didn't get any salary. And when they achieved a certain number of hours in the air, then they could apply to be a WASP. Then they got training because they had been flying in you know, small, um, small planes and they had to learn how to fly a bomber jet uh, or a bomber plane. So that, that was, so they got that training, but they had to pay their way to volunteer to do this. So that was really, really different. One of the human error stories was about two women who had reached the last week of their military training. Remember, they already come in being qualified pilots, but they're learning those aircraft. And on the very last week, there were two women who were flying in. They were um, Margie, da Margie Davis of California and Mary Holmes of Washington. I like to give them their names because that makes them very real people. But they both had gone on solo flights, which is part of you have to lock so many social hours solo. And they had gone on that flight and they were coming in uh, for a landing. And the the tower made a mistake and had them each coming in from a different direction, landing on the same runway. That did not end well. Both, both women lost their lives in that. Um, there's some really interesting, the woman, the woman who was the detect, private detective and um, 
forensic expert. Her name was Catherine Dusak, and she was all through the 30s and early 40s. She was heavily involved in her crime-solving career. Like I said, testified all over the country, married the guy who invented the lie detector. Well, at some point, that marriage fell apart, and she married a man named Rene Dusak, who was a major in the Air Force. She had flown um, just for a hobby, and she became interested in, in volunteering, and so she became a WASP, and he ended up being quite notorious because he was dropped behind the French lines and led the French resistance uh, at, during the war. But then after the war, he is a major character in conspiracy theories for the assassination of JFK. So she was killed in a crash. So again, like another story that, that you don't have any idea where that's story is going. There are a couple there are a couple interesting stories involving pilots where one is a real mystery and that mystery is called Where is Tommy? A woman whose nickname was Tommy because her last name is Tompkins, Tommy Tompkins. So she's in California and she is a very experienced pilot and she is going to take a bomber jet from the factory to wherever they're going to transport it. And as she gets ready to take off, there's something wrong with the dome that goes over the top of where the pilot sits. So she pulls over to the side on the runway and tells the tower, they tell someone, they send out a mechanic and fix whatever was on in the dome. And she takes off. There's no record of her taking off because she didn't take off on time. They don't know how long she was delayed or when she actually took off. But four days later, they realized they were short of pilot and plane. She has never been found today. They, did, they have searched oceans. They have searched deserts. They have searched mountains. They have not ever found her plane. And as recent as 2009, her family hired underwater archaeologists to search off the coast of California. And they did find a wreckage. They found a wreckage from a 1955 Air Force jet with two um, people had died in, they never, they still have not found Tommy. So she's the one on all the missing sites. And then one of the pilots has the, is what part of the sabotage story that I mentioned. And uh, her name is Betty Wood. And when the wasps were sent to the base that she was on, they were made to feel very unwelcome. They, this was a base where the women towed the airplanes that they shot at for target practice. And when they arrived, they were told, all of these old airplanes we use are expendable, and so are you. They had a lot of difficulty with um, people on the base. They didn't want women there. And in part, the stories I read was there was some real bitterness from men, male pilots because when the women arrived, that meant the men were going to be sent to the front. So there was some animosity because of that. Um, Time Magazine uh, in recent years did a story on sabotage of women pilots. And they profiled this case as possibly being one of them, that there were uh, actually recorded incidents of sugar being put in the women's gas tanks to cause the plane to fail. And um, when Betty Wood was bringing in her plane, something happened when she tried to land the plane and the plane flipped over and she was she was killed. And um, 
they have a pilot who was a supervisory pilot, Jackie Cochran, who's famous in aviation uh, circles. She broke a lot of records as a woman. Uh, she had actually witnessed sugar in a gas tank uh, in a previous flight. And she thought that this is what had happened to Betty Wood. But they also realized afterwards, after her flight, that they may not have used the right octane gas in the in the plane. Also, the planes were really old that they were using for target practice, and there wasn't appropriate parts available. So when something went wrong, they were trying to rig up parts to make them work. So it could have been lack of maintenance. It could have been sugar in the gas tank. It could have just been the wrong gas. Um, and also the, those planes had a history of the throttle sticking. So still today, people are still wondering, was this sabotage or, or was, you know, it just mechanical failure? Uh, it's unknown. All those stories just hit me super hard because here these women are fighting to prove a point that they want to fight for a cause they believe in, right? And they, on top of that, they're facing this opposition of fighting this cultural norm. But we certainly see a lot of sacrifice. I mean, women came forward for probably similar reasons to the men, although women were all volunteer. There wasn't a draft. Some of the men didn't have a choice. But I have read in different obituaries and things where the family have made a comment. One woman uh, joined because she felt so motivated by uh, Pearl Harbor. You know, so that brought her brought her forward. Another woman went, um, was caught as the women were boarding to leave and a reporter caught her and said, why are you doing this? And she said, my brother was killed and I'm going to take his place. And then she was killed. So, you know, that's an example of uh, some of the family sacrifice. I try to imagine as a mom, how families coped with this. One, one family, Alice McKinney's family, her brother was in uh, New Guinea and he almost didn't survive malaria. So he's in New Guinea, he has malaria, they know that he's gravely ill. Her brother Bill is killed when he parachutes into Germany in a battle and then she vanishes off the coast of Africa in a plane, missing plane and is one of the women who were missing in action. So that family lost two of their three children, but the, the brother had malaria did come home. And then, you know, uh, Wilma Lyles from Texas, she was a whack and she was also, it's interesting, these two women were on the same plane that went missing and they both had lost family members in the war. And her brother gets shot down in Germany and the resistance troops sneak him through Europe. He ends up in England. He ends up on a ship coming back to New York. His family was told he was dead until he calls them collect from New York. So her brother makes it back. Her second brother is a training pilot out in New Mexico and he's killed in a motorcycle accident. And then she goes missing off the coast of Africa. So, you know, these there were families who were just decimated. I mean, there's just not much left of the family after the war. Wow, that is amazing. Do you have some stories that you want to share with us that just really stand out to you as women who went the extra mile? Or Oh, absolutely. Because I know that, that our men who were at war could not have, the ones who got to come home could not have done so without some of these nurses that were there. And 
it's unbelievable what the nurses did. The very first story that I researched, the name I came across was Alita Lutz. Alita Lutz is from Michigan and she was a flight nurse and she has some amazing, amazing statistics. So she, let me tell you about how she was killed. She was on a plane with 15 wounded soldiers. She was the only medical personnel on the plane. They had flown to the front. They flew in an unmarked cargo plane. So it did not have a big red cross or anything on it. You know, they are trying to kind of be low key, but she has on her plane, like, six German prisoners of war who are wounded and nine American soldiers and she's flying and they are shooting at the plane while she's trying to go from person to person to tend to them and the plane ended up crashing and she passed she died along with everyone else on the plane and they don't really know if it was shot at or the weather was terrible if it was a weather and it crashed in, it did crash into a mountain but she did the most evacuation trips of any medical personnel. She did 196 trips to the front and she had um, more patients than any other flight nurse that she rescued and brought back 3,500 people that she rescued. And um, it was just amazing. She did combat flight missions to rescue men in Tunisia, Sicily, Naples, and Rome. So. She was quite quite the hero. And there is, um, you know, some of these women, I find nothing on them when I research their history after the point that they died. Many of them aren't remembered, but she is one that's remembered. There's a VA hospital named for her. Um, so if you heard of the uh, um, Alita Lutz VA hospital, that's why it's named for her. One of the other nurses that's really interesting um, is named Carrie Sheets. Carrie Sheets is from Pennsylvania, from Middle, Middlesburg, Pennsylvania. And she was really well known in her community before the war. She was the community health nurse. So basically think of like the health department we have today. But she went out into the community. She spoke a lot on health. She ran cancer uh, dry cancer fundraisers for the American Cancer Society. And she also made the news when she was a first responder to a man who decided it was a good idea to weld a kerosene can still full of kerosene. She made the news for um, figuring out that a family she visited had cerebrospinal meningitis, which is very contagious. She was able to get them medical care, get them in a hospital, quarantine the rest of them, saw that they were cared for every day and had food and so forth. So she was really well-known in her community. And when it, the war came up, she just felt that she she was one of those people who served, that she had to go and serve. And she was a mother. And she left her daughter with her parents so that she could go and do this. And so when she was killed, um, she was in a hospital uh, where in Europe where they were treating the wounded and the hospital got bombed and she was killed. And in her obituary, her parents shared some of her letters home. So I was able to find those and I can share a little bit about you today. At one point she wrote, I have never once been sorry that I'm in this grand old army. Of course, I miss home, but you can't win a war by being selfish. She says, 
things have eased up here, but we're so busy. Of course, I miss home and all of you, but you can't win a war by being selfish and they really need us in the hospitals. These boys are so patient. Never let anyone tell you they are soft because they have proved themselves. She goes on to talk about that the badly wounded are brought into her at night because they have to wait to the cover of darkness to sneak onto the fields and, and get the men that are wounded. And she says, every patient gets at least three bottles of plasma, blood plasma to start with and many after that. They also receive one or two on the battlefield. Without the blood plasma, all our efforts could not save these boys I have opened hundreds of thousands of plasma bottles in the nighttime. She said, please tell the people at home in Millersburg to give till it hurts. So hearing their stories in their own voices is really special. And one of, one of the other nurses, um, Ellen Ainsworth was a nurse who they, uh, Germans started bombing their hospital tent, despite the fact that it had the big red cross on the top of it, which was supposed to indicate that it was in a no-fly, no, a no-bombing zone. So she's a nurse. Bombs are falling. She's trying to move men that she could move into some bunkers into safety. The other men that you couldn't really move, they were so badly wounded, they would try to at least put them under their cot to try to help De get uh, debris from falling on them. And she takes a piece of shrapnel to the chest and she keeps on working. And at the time, one of the other nurses wanted, you know, wanted her to stop and be tended to. And she said, um, and I quote, there is nothing that these Germans can do that are going to scare me at this point. And she kept on working and moving them in. And four days later, she passed away from her wound to the chest. And she, um, at Christmas time, of course, before, before this happened, she couldn't send a gift home from the war front, but she did send home a letter. And because she couldn't send a gift, she wrote a poem. And her sister shared the poem with the local newspaper. And at Christmas, they published it. And so I have it today. And it says, my home is a tent. I sleep on a cot. You have snow, but we have not. This note brings greetings from far to near to all those beings that I hold dear. Seasons greetings through the year and contrary to custom, I'm glad you're not here. So a lot of, a lot of these women in their stories, even though there's a lot of facts involved, you can find bits and pieces of their personality that show what great people they are and that they were, had a very human side to them. Also just show their courage, you know, like they were, they were so courageous that, you know, and selfless, like it's hard. Like as you were telling the stories, I was crying because it's just, it hits you so hard about what they gave up and the beautiful life that they gave up and, and the courage that they had. Like, I really would love it if you wrote like a, not, not necessarily like a young children's book, like, like, a, you know, around age of 10 to 12 years old. So my daughters could, <laughs> could read these stories. I think it would be so, so cool for them. My, my six-year-old right now is a little bit, sometimes she's like, mom, how come it's always about boys? <laughs> and she, I know. So I, I share some of the stories that I have seen you, you've written with, with her and it makes her so excited. Like, wow, there's a, there's 
there's a girl doing these things and and it's inspiring to us women and and you know and all of us as Americans to see what was what was given up and and the and the way it was given I really it's it some of these stories are are exciting and and they are um very motivating and they make me very proud of what women can do today and be on the space shuttle and you know, do all the things that that they do. Um, there was a nurse named Marjorie Marjorie Morrow, and she kind of almost seemed like they joked about her group of nurses she was with as being bad luck. So they're on a hospital ship, and the hospital ship gets bombed. A lot of the nurses were trapped in their rooms. The doors were all cockeyed, and they couldn't open the doors. They couldn't get out of their rooms. Some of them were wounded. So. Um, they were had um, British soldiers were on the ship who broke down the doors and rescued the women. The ship was sinking. The hospital ship was sinking. They had to get off. Half of the lifeboats didn't work. The women were um, scrambling down the rope ladders into the lifeboats and some of the women weren't clothed and the soldiers were pulling them up and taking off their own clothes and putting it on the women and then putting them on. Some of the lifeboats had 72 women on it. And the lifeboats were taking on water and sinking and the women were taking off their helmets and bailing out the lifeboats. And um, they had sent out Mayday signals. So they were rescued by another ship and taken to somewhere in Africa where those that were wounded were treated and they had a little rest and they recouped. And then they went on to the 95th evacuation hospital to work and then it was bombed. Anyway, at the hospital ship, you're talking about the, these women. Um, there was a report after the hospital ship that said the coolness of the nurses helped prevent heavy casualties in the period when the bombs were shattering the walls and blowing the doors off the hinges of the Mercy Hospital. So it was quite amazing. And then when she was working at the 95th Evac Hospital is when uh, bombs fell nearby and it they bombed the administrative operating rooms and the wards, and she was killed in that bombing. But sort of said that the bad luck was following her. Yeah. I love that story about like just you know in my head, like if I was locked inside of a room, I'd be screaming. Like I would not be like calm and cool. Like that would not be what I would. Yeah, they had some 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 pretty strong backbones. There was a pretty amazing. There was uh, not at you know not everyone who passed away in World War II, and this applies to the men too, uh, died in in combat or in warfare, but they still became casualties of the war. One of the stories at the start, I said I discovered a story that was irony. The only woman doctor who died during World War II died of an infection. So she was here in the United States working at a military hospital where the wounded were coming back. So she, you know, was doing her service, but she got some kind of terrible infection and passed away. And I said, it's that irony is you join the military as an army doctor and you don't die from the war, but you die from an infection. Um, There was another woman who didn't die of combat, but her story is interesting. And her name is Nancy Leo and she was from Maryland. And she had a sister that was, they were almost twins. They were so close in age. And she and her sister 
is a little older. Sister went to nursing school, so she went to nursing school. Sister worked at the hospital, so she worked at the hospital. Sister joined the nursing corps, and so she joined the nursing corps. But the, you know, then they, they were very, very close. Then they were separated because they were sent to different places to do their nursing. And when um, the younger sister, Nancy, gets to France, uh, she's stationed in Paris, and she's like an hour from her very close sister who she hasn't seen in, I don't know, a year or two. So the they both girls, women, arranged to get the day off to take a day of leave. And the uh, one sister, Nancy, is coming in from the hour outside of Paris, and there's a she catches a ride on a Jeep with you know a bunch of military people to ride into Paris and see her sister. And a car in front of them has a tire blowout causing all kinds of swerving and they crashed into it. And she was ejected from the Jeep and was killed. She was buried in the cemetery in Paris. So right after her funeral, a man, a soldier was going along the road where the cemetery is and he sees this grave just what he described as covered in this mass of the most beautiful flowers. And it just compelled him to walk into the cemetery. The, the grave was fairly close to the road where he was walking just to look at it. And when he did, he was shocked to see that it was a girl from his hometown. So he writes a letter to his mother and said, you won't believe what happened to me today. I was walking and I saw this grave and I looked and you can't believe it. It's Nancy Leo. And, you know, she he was from a small town in Maryland. Well, Nancy's mother, uh, um, his mother picks up the phone, as you would do, and calls uh, Nancy's mother and says, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry to hear of your daughter. Well, the family hadn't been informed yet that their daughter had been killed. So this is how the family found out, sort of via the gossip chain, arrived faster than than the military. Well, anyway, there is an end to that story. Nancy was moved out of that private cemetery, and um, she is at the cemetery, the Luxembourg American Cemetery, that's so famous for the rows and rows and rows and rows and rows of white grave markers. Um, there are 5,075 Americans buried there, and there's there are 5,074 men and one woman, and that's Nancy. Wow. Did you know, find out what happened to her sister? Did she, she obviously made it back she home. She survived the war, yes. But she never found, like, it took her probably a while to find out that she had passed away after they were supposed to meet, right? But the, Well, I think she found out fairly oh. quickly because she was, uh, her sister never showed up. And mm. I think, you know, she was able to call, find out from the base. I, I don't know exactly how that, that played out. Wow. So the, the sister had written home to her aunt instead of her mother because she wanted someone to be with her mother when her mother got the news. So oh. she wrote she wrote her aunt and said, please go be with mom and tell her what happened. But still the neighbor's phone call came first. And the sister who had received the letter thought, you hear of people who were killed in the war and then they turn up alive a few weeks later that there's a mistake. And I think I'm gonna wait until we hear from the war department 
because I want to know that it's real. I don't want to go tell my sister, your daughter's dead, and then find out it wasn't true. So she had kind of held on to the news. But, so it's a lot of human interest stories. That's the thing. I start with a name and, and some sometimes a state, or I'll know they were a first lieutenant and their name, but I don't know anything else about them. And then this story just unfolds. That's so amazing. Um, so is your goal to, to get all these 500 women done? I would like to. I, I would like to, but um, we'll see. I would like to have the list of 500 women. I'd like someone to give me that list, but um, I'm going to try. I'm, I'm still excited every time I start a new one and learn something new. So would you have one thing I like to ask all our researchers is, is if they had any advice to somebody who is listening and thinking about joining or doing this as a, being part of the project. Do you have any advice? Um, I think that that the thing that I would say is that you can take your time that you might think, oh, my gosh, I don't have enough time to do this. And and really, there's no deadline. I mean, I've been a writer and reporter and and also first I'm going to say that that's that doesn't really apply. Anyone can look these things up and and find out about a man or a woman who no one has told their story. But there's no pressure involved. It's not like it's not like you have to have it done by a certain time or a certain day. So you can work on it a little bit here and a little bit there and and discover the story. So don't be put off by thinking, oh, that would be too hard because it's not. It's really interesting. I really like that perspective because you think, oh, you know, I, if I start this, I got to get it done in like amount of time. But no, it's like you do it in the time you can, because, you know, if you don't do it, then it's someone, you know, it's still not getting done. Right. So there's it's, it's better for you to at least to attempt to do it and however long it takes you rather than it never getting told. Right. Like that's a really good way to think of it. I really appreciate you taking the time with me, Lee, and and maybe as you get uh, further along in your research, we can come back in the summer and hear some more stories from you. I think it'd be really fun. Um, and I, we really appreciate all the work you've done and the taking the time to find these women and tell their stories. And, and I think you should consider writing a book, just saying. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, thanks. Well, you know, it's, it's really all about the people. And I had somebody say, ask me about if family, you know, if I ever contact family, and it's pretty hard to find to find the family, but every once in a while, and I did last week with the help of another volunteer, I found an address and I mailed a snail mail letter to a hopefully a relative for somebody I don't have a picture of, and I heard back from them, and that was really exciting. And I, if it's okay, I'd like to share what the relative said. Yeah, that'd be awesome. They, they said. I so appreciate that people care enough to write these stories as young men and women gave their lives for us and for our country. I know my mother and her sisters and brother and parents would be happy to know that someone cares enough to do this. Thank you and all the others who've cared enough to honor our heroes. So I'm, I'm not going to be there when people say, let's research Aunt Betty and see what, what she did in the war and find a story all about what she did and, and say, oh my gosh, come see this. I'm not going to be there for that, but 
I like to imagine that it makes them feel good to know that they're not forgotten. Wow, that is really, really impactful because that's what we're doing this. That's why we're doing this, you know, to honoring and, and finding those stories. That's really beautiful. Thank you so much for taking your time and the and, and the hours and hours you spent doing this project. Really appreciate it. And uh, we'll hopefully talk to you later. Thanks for having me. I love talking about these women. Thank you for listening. If you're at all interested in volunteering or just want to learn more about our amazing project, please visit us at www.storiesbehindthestars.org.